This is the one with a cone head. A peeping milker. A trapper keeper. An aubergine paperweight. And the contested ascension of a keeper elect. It's called the Keeper of Traken. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Thalan, Oot, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? Hello, dearest podcast land, and welcome to yet another fantastic episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. Bingo bongo. Hawk, is that an angel choir? Nay, tis Jim. Hello, Jim. Why, hello. This is so easy to get these two things confused. (laughs) (laughs) And I am Leon, and boy, oh boy, do we have a treat for you today, Podcast Land, because today we are talking about The Keeper of Traken, the penultimate Tom Baker serial. Penultimate! We are so close to the end of the Baker era. Oh, wow. Yeah, high level. Like it? Dislike it? Take it or leave it? I generally am not quite sure yet. I thought I liked it after the first episode. Then I wasn't too sure by the end. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Personally, I think I like this one. Mm, okay, yeah. okay. And there's a surprising element of it that I actually did kind of like. So I look forward to us fighting to the death. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably not going to fight to the death. I might might give you a little fisticuffs. But <laughs> okay. Oh, phew, because I was totally bluffing. I was not looking forward to that at all. Uh, <laughs> Before we delve any deeper, how about we summarise this in a bite-sized chunk of who? Marvellous idea. Time for us to synopsize, lerbify and summarise. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. The fourth Doctor and now sole companion Adric are summoned by the Keeper of Traken, a millennia-old chap in a teleporting armchair, and told that something terribly evil and dangerous is afoot on his homeworld. A Melka, an alien creature thought to be malevolent, recently landed on the paradisical planetoid and was promptly petrified. And because the locals are such a friendly bunch, they've nominated one of the three women on the planet to leave flowers at its feet at regular intervals. The Keeper is the ruler of Traken and is strong with the Source. And superpowered by a device amazingly named the Source Manipulator. This machine controls everything, including the weather, and guarantees endless happiness for the inhabitants. Alas, the Keeper's life life is soon to come to an end, and a new keeper has been appointed in the form of paternal figure and single scientific chap, Tremus. Does democracy mean anything to these people, though? And will Tremus ever get to be a keeper? And is the Melka truly petrified, or is some legendary Whovian baddie residing within? Be scout over. You are welcome. Oh my <laughs> goodness, this sounds like a fantastically spiffing serial, Jim. Where do you want to start? Maybe you should hit us off with a starter, and we can get to my questions maybe later. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Fundamental question. What exactly does the Keeper do? He bing-bongs around <laughs> space. <laughs> oh, my kind of guy. Yeah. It's the machine that does the work, right? But for some reason, they've built the machine in such a way that a person needs to sit in a chair for it not to explode and the planet to go to hell. I must admit, I don't think I really understood a lot of the mcgovern talk in this serial. Okay. So you might be on your own answering that one. Oh, great. 
kind of sounded right. <laughs> and as a consequence of being the keeper, he is responsible for the well-being of the people. He lives for thousands of years, plural, thousands of years. This guy is millennia old, right? Yeah. And he is effectively omnipotent. And I'm not quite sure. I mean, what do we see from the first keeper? He can, well, he can get up over TARDIS. Yeah, he can teleport through, presumably, not just space, but time. That's true, actually. I was Because I nearly said he ping-pongs around time and space, but I didn't think we saw time. But I guess it's implied if he gets into the TARDIS. Unless perhaps they've already arrived in his time. But regardless, he can teleport through, he can teleport That's... off his world. Yeah. Into the TARDIS. That's crazy bananas. But, like, what does he do? How do they determine who becomes one? It's like, who's standing closest? What does it hurt to talk to him? <laughs> like, I don't understand this keeper business. It's one of those things that they love to do in Doctor Who, where it's kind of part cult, part religious thing, part science. <laughs> True. But I think they did that really well. Yeah, for the most part, actually. I, I didn't mind that. Actually leads on to like one of the questions I I didn't think was a good opener, which I mentioned briefly before we started recording. Yeah, I have no idea what the source is. It's represented as a series of flames. <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah, which if I'm not mistaken is how they represent the thing that the um the Sisterhood of Khan uh, that's like, ish. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean in the Sisterhood of Khan, there's this eternal flame which is just some of the same chemicals inside the whatever, coming off the granite wall. What the fuck am I saying? <laughs> You're right. I took this to be, the source is basically, uh, it's the power of the planet. It's like the power of Trocken. And then you very rightly corrected me. Compels you. (laughs) And then you very rightly corrected me before we pressed record. You pointed out, actually, the machine is not called the source. The, The source is something else, and the machine is there to sort of harness it. So I think that's what it is. That's why the Keeper of Trocken can manipulate the weather, for example, because he is basically the world of Trocken. Mm. I th- yeah, I, th- I, th- I think maybe we're meant to have understood it as there is a machine which has taken a natural phenomenon and it is harnessing that power, but it needs someone to control it. It needs it needs a conduit, effectively, and the keeper becomes the conduit. Yeah. And has some of the power, I guess. Because they're not using the machine to do stuff, are they? The machine is there to make the keeper the keeper. Without the machine, there yeah. is no keeper. And the keeper is there to make sure that Traken remains a paradise. That the yeah. weather's always good, that all the conditions are there for people to be happy, and that's sort of it. But then there are only like seven people living on this planet, and the keeper of Traken seems to be an asshole. <laughs> I don't really understand. Like, if the keeper of Traken is there to do something benevolent, why are people kind of fearful of him? What does he constantly need to sit in a chair? Why is there no democratic process to put someone new in the chair? Do we know enough to say there isn't a democratic process? I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm I not definitely feel like we know that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, there are these these consoles, and they are the ones that can be the next keeper. But do we see how they become consoles? I don't know. Like you say, there are seven people on this planet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we never see any <laughs> people. Were they elected by someone? We don't know. <laughs> and then they just decide, oh, I guess this tree mass chap, he's going to be the new keeper. But then in his his absence. Oh, let's just pick his wife. Oh, wait, in her absence, there's no one. Someone needs to be the keeper. Uh, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Quickly, I'll do it. And then, what's his face? Luvik sits down on the, by the way, on the literal golden throne that controls this world. <laughs> yeah. 
Like there is not much in the way of democracy. At least it doesn't. No. It doesn't ring true <laughs> to my I'm, ears. Uh, yeah, I'm not really going to defend it. I was. <laughs> I was just like, we we don't know all the ins and outs of stuff. It also, it seems to be you are a thing. Yeah, like you're you are your job. Like yes. I mixed up some people's names and their their roles. Like for ages, I didn't realize Neiman was the Proctor and Proctor was Neiman. Like I think I saw the same guy. Oh yeah, obviously, but <laughs> didn't really kind of go. Oh right, yeah. Someone was calling him Proctor earlier. Now they're calling Neiman, and I was like, who's Neiman? Oh, it's all oh, right. It's him. Okay. <laughs> to me, Neiman was the guy with the killer blazer. I loved that jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I think to me he was the unfortunate bald spot. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, the guy who's like he's really, really clinging on to that one tin tin lock at the front of his scalp. <laughs> and it was really so just get rid of it, man. Just get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, he kept falling over in front of the camera, and it just like was on show all the time. <laughs> Well, I mean, I feel like we just answered that question. We have just il- helped elucidate podcast land. You're welcome, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Very quick side question, because I got from your tone. Did you not like the old keeper? I thought he was really cool. I thought he was great. I mean, I think it would have been better if they had picked someone who knew how to act. Uh, oh, <laughs> I mean, he was really sweet. I, I don't want to make fun of you know, an, an elderly gentleman, but yeah, he didn't have much oomph in his performance. Not really. You know, we've met him once before. Uh, uh, oh, yes. This is the, the trivia that I, I briefly saw. Do, do tell, do tell. Dennis Carey. He also played Professor Chronotis in Sharda. Wow. And he was freaking amazing in Sharda. You know what? I take back what I just said. He, This man can act. He clearly decided to play millennia old. <laughs> <laughs> What a total dude. So what? So you you loved the guy then? I warned to that guy immediately. His entrance, he just pops up on a TARDIS and goes, how do you do? (laughs) (laughs) How do you not love someone like that? (laughs) I loved his teleporting within the TARDIS. Oh, yeah. He's like, plop, plop, now I'm on this side of the TARDIS. I'm talking to you over here. Like, for no reason whatsoever, except, I'm going to guess, either comic relief or they botched the take and then they filmed it once again from another angle and that became the excuse. Like, there's no reason for him to jump around the TARDIS because then later on he never does it. Oh, you ruined that. I, <laughs> no, I, I, no like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like that was purposeful. Yeah, <laughs> it probably was. He's just a goofball. He's like, ah, he's no, a total no, you have to put your heads over here. <laughs> <laughs> this guy knows how to lean. Like that guy is comfy as in his chair. <laughs> It doesn't recline. It is not a futon, but somehow he has turned this armchair into a full-on bed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which uh, might lead nicely into the note I have written down as story time with the keeper. The tale of Cassio and the Melkor. (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. Oh, sorry. Go for it. I can say, actually, he was born in 1909. What? He was was 72. Oh, 71 or 72 when this was filmed. That's quite impressive. I take it back. I really like this guy now. (laughs) Sorry, something dawned on me a second ago. He sits in that chair. The chair is the conduit, right? That's a person needs to sit in this chair. Yeah. So why does it work when the Master's TARDIS sits down in it? I kind of hated that oh. the the Melka was in the chair. Like, that that could have been the moment you reveal the Master, surely. Like yeah, that's he right. you, I mean, you've just said how greatly the Keeper managed to sit in the chair. Like, when you've got a throne, people can really sit in a throne. Like, you can imagine yes. the Master just... 
owning up. And he's wearing that black cloak and he's all just rotting flesh. Oh my goodness. That on a golden throne, I would be throbbing. That would be fantastic. (laughs) There would be a very sort of Palpatine-y thing about that as well. Mm. That'd be amazing. There was a moment where I genuinely thought that that would happen. When the Traken sits down in the throne and he's kind of hinting at a big reveal, I thought that the Traken, sorry, not the Traken, the um, Balsack, the Melka, the TARDIS, effectively, I thought that was going to dematerialize and in its stead would be the Flesh Master, you know, the Meat Master. (laughs) The Meat Master. Uh, I think that's actually the name of a, a butcher's in Oxford. <laughs> yeah, and also a different DVD in my collection. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, actually, I I had I just I'm not very good at reading beyond one line. Apparently, in my notes. That time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I had another kind of general question, which is exactly up this alleyway. Where does the keeper go in between these appearances? Because yes, thank you. <laughs> like, it is ping-ponging around. Like, he's in a virtual pinball machine. And it's like, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm in the, th- the, the chair in the throne room. Oh, I'm in the TARDIS. Uh, I'm in some other place that no one can currently see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the people on Traken, they seem completely okay with this. They're, they're familiar with this being the case. Like, he's not always going to sit in that box. Yeah, but you're right. Like, where <laughs> where does he go? Do you think it's a serious job? Do you think being a keeper entails you having to teleport across the entire planet to see other societies with other seven people living there and <laughs> figuring out what to do? Like, oh, what do you have problems with your taxes? And then you keep something, and then you teleport to a different. <laughs> like, you're basically like a a comp troller. <laughs> So do you think that's what it is? Are there other settlements, other cities, and he has to go to all of them? I feel like there must be a lot of them, or the rest of the cities have way more problems than (laughs) this one that we were introduced to, and he has to just be away on business the whole time. Because this is definitely a case of the planet is a village, or the planet is two rooms. Because Trocken is the planet. It's not the city, it's the planet. And it's not like, oh, it's a small colony of people. It's This is the world of Trocken. But he, the keeper is elected here, so possibly this is the capital? Like, the the planetary capital, maybe? I mean, they didn't give us anything in this one. No, that's true. This was pretty bad on the... The small dwelling on a on a big planet. <laughs> it was to the point where Doc and I think he's with Tramus at the time, and Adric's probably there because he's always fucking there. Uh, <laughs> 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 like they've been they've been imprisoned or something, and they've escaped. And there's like people are looking for them. And yeah. Cassia goes and talks to the Melka and says, "Oh, the the Citadel was all locked down or something." It's like, "Oh, that's convenient. Don't have to have." <laughs> Any other locations to shoot from. <laughs> yeah, also, well, we can't go back to my place, that other set that we built and showed you in one episode ago. Oh, but maybe they've already looked there, so we can go back there. Great idea. Let's go back there. <laughs> <laughs> But I did kind of like that. I mean, I enjoyed the set design in general, by the way. I thought the production value of this episode is really quite high. But what it's lacking is backstory and context. Yeah. I don't know if I would stretch as far as say it's high. I think it just... Okay. It's not bad. Okay, fine. Fine. I mean, I thought the glass thing that the Keeper stays in, for example, the the thing that looks like either he's the Carlton alarm clock guy or he's a Space Guild navigator from Dune, you know, like when he's inside his little glass box and the glass doors open like they're per- there are two sets of doors in this in this serial that got me so aroused there is the the glass doors <laughs> 
And then the, I think another set of doors that they reuse at least thrice, they're these golden doors with a black geometrical kind of pattern on it. And they look like they're just a fake wall, but then they actually slide apart like Star Trek TNG doors. Ah, trying to think. Is that the entrance to the kind of main keeper space? Or uh, no? Yeah, the, it's the main, main keeper yeah. entrance. And it's also the doors. I think they reuse the same doors for the source manipulator. Ah, uh, right, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I take your meaning. Yeah. But there are two yeah, scenes I mean, definitely where guess, they... Oh, sorry, go for it. I say, no, I, I guess they, you know, they put a lot of thought in it. Because they've got the grove, and I think the gates for the grove were pretty impressive as well. And yeah. The grove itself, I think, was a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, it's pretty small. Which is it was meant to be this wonderful <laughs> sacred space. Like, it's, like any botanical <laughs> gardens in any city in the UK is probably way nicer. <laughs> yeah. We can see I'm all of the horticulturalists working in the grove in, in frame. And by the way, this is in a time before widescreen. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so there, there are two scenes in which they had the opportunity to provide that backstory and context. There's the doctor telling Adric about... Now I just want to say a carton about what's it called? Trocken. He's telling him oh, about Trocken. Like, oh, Trocken, yeah, it's uh, it's this paradise. It's known for everything, everything being happy and go lucky. Everything's great. And he could then have said all this happiness is concentrated in one small settlement of people who are super happy. Like that would have contextualized it. And then also the keeper shows up and he tells them the story of the milker. And he could have said he landed in our capital city or he landed in our one city. You know, <laughs> he didn't do it. Well, I think ideally he, he landed in the ad- administrative district, which is isolated from the rest of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Where only seven people at a time are allowed in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, dude, 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 bullet point me. Can we just a quick top level? Uh-huh. Are we still hating Adric or have you warmed to him at all? Do, how do I need to pitch this? <laughs> pitch it exactly how you want. <laughs> how do you feel about Adric? I think Adric is still a little shit. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I'm so glad to hear you say that because you know what? I kind of liked him in this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think his actions... annoyingly are quite good yeah i just do not buy them being attributed to the character adric who we have seen on only a few occasions he came from a quite backwaters planet that happened spaceship it was really weird he was you know sold as this mathematical genius is like okay fine he knows maths and we get a hint that he has been prepped with stuff from the dock he's read some things in the tardis but it generally feels like he's meant to have read and absorbed and understood like pretty much everything he's been given in the tardis yeah so he knows all about the Trakan civilization and customs he seems to know the inner workings of the tardis pretty well like he's trying to fly the fucking thing yeah agreed i don't uh, i didn't like that i didn't like that he was able to dissect the TARDIS. Yeah, like there's a lot of things that just do not fit with what we have seen up to now for this character. Like someone has to either come in with an obvious level of expertise that you're going to go, okay, like a fellow Time Lord, say Romana. Yeah. It's like, okay, you you have a very similar background to the Doctor, you're going to be able to do this kind of stuff. Or they need to earn their knowledge and place. And he's done neither. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's super duper on point. 
he's a little bit too competent. Because, as you say, he's been sold as a maths genius, but we've had a maths genius companion before. We Actually, we've had several of them, but we've had a, a genius kid companion before, a human, in Zoe. I think we maybe I brought up Zoe when, when Adric first joined the TARDIS team as well. She was super-duper clever. She was a genius. But when she was in the TARDIS, she would still be almost dumbfounded by the technological advancements surrounding her. She would go, that's fantastic. Conceptually, I understand it, but I wouldn't even have known that it existed. And here's a dude who, just a few serials ago, he was trying to impress the world by stealing watermelons. (laughs) (laughs) And now he is taking apart the TARDIS. He's coaching another person in how to put it back together again. And uh, I agree, that's too much. What do you think of his chemistry with Tom Baker, with with the Doctor? I thought it was better, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, like I think this was the first introduction of Adric, and he had been given a backstory rather than the previous episodes we had seen to earn the kind of knowledge and understanding he has. Yeah, I actually probably wouldn't have so much of an issue with him, but I can't put that aside. I can't let them just suddenly go, "Oh yeah, Adric's just absorbing everything." The the first like negative note I have about Adric, I think it's the first one, is Doc's fiddling with the door i think it must be the gate in the grove when they first arrive and adric just opens the door next to it and it's (laughs) like that's the level they're setting this at it's like he's having to do something really stupidly obvious and easy to better like to seem better than the doc it's like i guess it seems to me like they know like that and i mean i like the gate idea I think that's kind of fun. Like, it can be. Oh, I don't know. Maybe but, I'm being but, too... Oh, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it, it, I'm super happy that we are disagreeing on this. And I, I'm very curious to hear what our, spoiler alert, 11 listener mini contributors think of Adric. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would also say the chemistry between him and the Doc is better. Better now than it was before, I mean. How do you feel about Nyssa? Because Nyssa is... Um, am I spoiling this for you? Are you already aware of this? I'm not aware of anything to do with but, it. Yeah, based on the look on your face, I'm definitely spoiling <laughs> this for you. I'm so sorry. I'm, go- I'm, gonna- I'm about to spoil something for you. Is she going to be a companion? Yeah. She's in, I think, 48 episodes. Whoa. Yeah. And I'm assuming, I'm assuming as of the next serial, I'm guessing so. So how do you feel about the chemistry between Nyssa and Adric? Because I'm assuming that those two are going to be traveling together. Uh, I actually quite like those scenes. I kind of, I kind of quite liked her character. Yeah, me um, too. Not quite, not quite sure why, because she. No, I do know why. I think in general she was just like quite okay in the background, and then she has one scene where the Proctor is like guarding the gates. And there's loads of, like, the crowd have come to see what's going on because the, there's, like, murmur of the Melker and all this kind of stuff. And uh, she plays this all kind of spoiled princess to, like, get through. Oh, yeah. And sneaks Patrick in. And then later off, she tries to bribe him. And that fails. So she just shoots them. Like, like <laughs> Which is tries, amazing, not, yeah. Tries not to shoot. Yeah, she just goes total badass. Like, she has some really good moments, actually. Yeah, that's literally what I've written. I've written, Nissa was charming, a badass, and resourceful she modifies some regular tool to be that laser weapon yeah she does I, yeah she like dials up the intensity of I, I don't know what the hell it was anyway yeah, yeah so, uh, metal de-rustifier I don't know just laser laser people and later on admittedly
repeatedly she's being told by, what's his name, shitface McGillicuddy, Adric, what to do. But she does construct the machine that, or she helps him construct the machine that is then used to manipulate the source manipulator. So I thought she was awesome. Yeah. The only thing that this strikes me as is they are both really young. They're kids. Well, I mean, kids. They're, you know, yeah, I mean, they're, I'm terrible with it. They're teenagers, right? So they're, they are kids. So is the Doctor now going uh, to be traveling uh, yeah. around with yeah. two kids? We're commenting on the characters here, aren't we, rather than the, the actors? Oh, yeah, no, but, sorry. I mean I mean the characters. I don't mean the actors. For all I know, they're yeah. both in their 20s. I have no idea, but... I think it, I think it's probably fair to assume the character Nyssa is a teenager as well. The way that they have the... I mean, the weird ceremony. I, I didn't quite actually understand who she was. And so, suddenly she's given to Cassia and Tremus, and they're now her parents slash wait, guardians. Wait, are like, they not her parents? I really I felt like this, they were. there was a ceremony ceremony where they were married i don't know it's, was it more just sort of like oh now oh yes wait you are right well. <laughs> it really felt like they were they were introducing her as like and now you've got this job oh, and, after, yeah <laughs> and people applaud that's like uh, and here's my wife and here's my daughter and they're like oh oh yes <laughs> <laughs> you don't just get married you get parented as well. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Either she is their bastard child. I've got the transcript. Okay, yeah. So the keeper... So this is the little storytelling bit at the start. And the keeper is marrying Tremus and Cassia. And he says, I, nearing the time of my passing, bless the marriage of these two, Tremus and Cassia, truest of my five true consoles, together with Nyssa, now daughter to you both. Maybe maybe she was Tremus's daughter. Yeah, or Cassia's daughter, and then they get married, and now yeah. yeah so one one of them is the st- step parents. But, but it I, was I mean, a it weird, doesn't matter. Weird ceremony. Come on, <laughs> super weird ceremony. Like, like it's not. She's not introduced as anyone's daughter until that point, and then she is now daughter to you both. I I was just like, yeah. what? Where, where <laughs> yeah. is this? Coming? Like <laughs> she, she's sitting just like dangling her legs off the the gift table <laughs> like that. She's surrounded by boxes. <laughs> Is the the shapes of you know I mean they're all wrapped but they're the shapes of like a stand mixer and <laughs> like a nice coffee pot set or something and there she is she's got a bow in her hair and she's like dangling her legs <laughs> off the edge of the table <laughs> like guess what I got you <laughs> I got you a daughter <laughs> <laughs> hope no one else got you a daughter as well <laughs> everyone hates duplicate gifts and I d- yeah I didn't really understand this little backstory bit as well because I think the keeper is telling this story because he was worried about Cassia and the Melker. And so, because he takes... So Cassia had had the responsibility of placing the flowers, like tending to the Melker and placing yeah. the flowers down. <laughs> and like, all this <laughs> horrible, weird shit. I took it that he was worried, you know, like, Cassia basically couldn't do this anymore because she was getting brainwashed. Mm. Like, he was worried that something was going to happen. Yeah. So he swaps her out for Nyssa. <laughs> But then it also seemed like this was an arranged marriage. Like it almost like was yeah, it's true. Like, orchestrated so that Cassie would be married to Tremus, so that she would now be mother to Nyssa. And I don't know, which means Tremus is going to be the keeper, going to be absent throughout most of this. Yeah. So Cassia is basically going to be watching over Nyssa, who is then going to be with the Melker anyway. I don't know. Yeah. So it a brainwashed like, person not- is going to watch over an uh, an underage girl in the process of being brainwashed. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> well surprised. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I guess what I'm saying is I don't understand why the Keeper couldn't just teleport the Melker into space. Yeah. No, I, I didn't understand what happened to this, this calcified evil being. It's just like, oh yeah, we will just tend to it in our garden. <laughs> why not? <laughs> G- give it flowers. Talk to it. That's really cool, man. Yeah, it's a statue. <laughs> Do you talk to statues? <laughs> Like if if we didn't think it was alive, we would drill a hole in its head and have a fountain shooting out of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how do you feel about Tremus then? Because Tremus is an important character. I actually think I quite like Tremus. Well, I, I thought there were four consoles. I must have miscounted. But basically, none of them can act <laughs> apart from <laughs> Tremus. <laughs> and now I know why, because he was on for greater things. <laughs> uh, yes. And holy moly, can he act. What a total dude. I'm, yeah. I mean, I joined him in this. I feel like we're in for a treat with him in the mast, as I, the master. I think so, too. Yeah. I, I assume so. But yeah. So I think Anthony Ainley was obviously very good in the role of Tremus. And I think the character probably had, not necessarily an arc, but I think kind of the strongest sense about him in this serial. Next to Nyssa, perhaps. But Nyssa was more through action. His was more, I think, through dialogue and action and a combination of things. And also, I think, sort of general benevolence and the wisdom of a father figure. I thought he was a very, very good second companion to the Doctor in this one. This is why I asked you before you press record what the name was of the uh, old chap the Doctor has an adventure with in The Deadly Assassin. Because I got sort of the same vibes here. Tom Baker collaborating with a fellow scientifically inclined you know older chap and they've got a little bit of bands and they they get along really well i really really liked him but oh there's a but oh no but this is not a but about him or a but about his performance it's a but about my reading of it or my my assumptions but i watched the full end credits as of part one i didn't care about part two and three and four and when his name came up, Anthony Ainley, I recognized it as, although now I misremembered it as Ainsley, I recognized it as the guy who plays the master. And then, probably because I was seeing it in writing, uh, tree mass, master, anagram, holy moly, all of a sudden it dawned on me, this is the master. And because of that, I assumed for the entire rest of the serial that he was the master conning <laughs> the doctor. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, but actually, he's just this really nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) See, I had a slightly different experience with spoiling myself. Because I I went to the Wikipedia page. I think I probably still had an episode left. And I looked at him because I was curious what he might have been. Because I I don't know, I, I had a feeling that I'd seen him in something, but I don't think I have actually. And his Wikipedia entry, like, basically has him as the master. Yeah, that's his photo. I see. But my brain went, oh, he becomes the master in 1981. We're still in 1980. Forgetting that that we had quite easily progressed into 1981. (laughs) I was like, how? That's really interesting. He's playing a character like a year before he plays the master. (laughs) It's like, how are they going to explain that one? (laughs) Are we going to have another Romana 2 situation? Uh, Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So I'm still not totally surprised when he gets body swapped, I guess, at the end. But I I was not expecting that was what was going to happen. No, I don't think we can glaze over that. What's that about? The dude has (laughs) run out of regenerations. Okay, fine. Just stand in the same place as someone else and become him. And yeah, I'm right in thinking there's no precedent for this yeah no i don't think so i mean i'm pretty sure this is the first time that that's happened in the deadly Um, assassin he went to gallifrey and staged gigantic 
coup. Weird to say that today on the 7th of January 2021. Oh, God. <laughs> I hope everyone in the US is safe. Uh, yeah, anyway, in The Deadly Assassin, he went to Gallifrey, staged a massive coup, infiltrated the, the inner sanctum of Gallifrey because he had run out of regenerations and he was going to die like it was nobody's business. And here he just... <laughs> morphs into someone else or like he just he stand how is he translucent how is he able to stand in the same space as someone else and does tremus now grow a second heart does it just like pop into existence inside his chest i took that to be a crappy visual effect more than explaining how it physically happened but okay uh, (laughs) (laughs) i think you can kind of hand wave it a bit because he has got the powers of the keeper but like the reason he's not a threat anymore is because the source manipulator was adjusted by adric's device to basically overload whoever was channeling the source i guess so, so yeah like i didn't expect the master to die because these characters never die but the setup was the keeper aka the master was going to get blown up by the source like they were going to be overloaded with the source and that's how he left it and the doctor escapes blah 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 blah, blah. everyone says goodbye and yet oh no no there's just a, a grandfather clock and the master comes out perfectly in his skeletal form you know he's not even like struggling to get out or no. anything and they all <laughs> has power master. somehow to, to turn into someone else i don't know <laughs> and it also begs the question why didn't he do this with literally any other person he met yeah <laughs> he goes finally a new body finally a new body <laughs> You've had fresh bodies putting flowers at your feet for years. <laughs> like, just pick anyone. When he was on Gallifrey, couldn't he just have, you know, fingered Barusa from behind, his head from behind? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he does, okay? I'm just stating the facts. He fingers Tremus's hair, like he kind of, yeah, kind of creeps on him. Couldn't he have done that with Barusa and just turned into an an actual Gallifreyan, you know? I mean, I think, am I right in remembering that he basically says to Doc, when Doc comes into his TARDIS, through being hypnotized, we have to get pin in that. Yeah. Um, he's being all creepy to the Doc, and it's like, well, your mind's going to go in my... I, I wasn't quite sure if he's saying my library or my mind, because he's like pointing to his brain it's like actually i don't have a library it's just my mind <laughs> i think he says he's gonna um, absorb all of his intelligence yeah but then he gets super creepy it's like ah but your body <laughs> yeah <laughs> well <laughs> I such plans for that <laughs> yeah that's the thing isn't it he is gonna take over his body he wants a gallifreyan body because a gallifreyan body can regenerate very similar to what's his face morbius who wanted the doctor's body because the doctor was gallifreyan and that would allow Morbius to even regenerate. That's true, actually. So there is precedence for someone trying to take another body. Yeah, Mm. but that was like a I'm going to take my brain. I'm literally going to transplant my brain into Uh, another Gallifreyan body. No, true. Yeah, that wasn't wibbly-wobbly stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a bit wibbly-wobbly, but... Trying to be literal brain brain swap surgery. Yeah, I, I feel like they're trying to pass it off as it was like he was the keeper and he still had some kind of ability we don't understand. I think to, that to was the this. hypnosis thing. I'm sorry, I just talked over you. Go for it. Sorry. I think uh, yeah, I, I think the hypnosis thing probably does fit that as well. But I, I don't buy that the keep uh, the master could have taken over anyone's body at any point. I think it had to be after he had been keepered. Okay, I'm I'm willing to buy that explanation. I just, I'm not quite sure. Like, he has his TARDIS there. Why doesn't he go to Gallifrey and just nab someone else? Yeah. 
another time lord exactly yeah because what is going to happen like i i peaked a little bit i didn't want to see too much but i feel like we are seeing this incarnation if i'm i'm correct if we are seeing this incarnation of the master until the end yeah i think so too how does that work if he's human like i don't know yes holy moly <laughs> i think something just dawned on me the next time that we see the master i think he does the same thing because the next time is as in sorry not the next time we see the master the next time we have a new master i think he we see the same thing because that's in the eighth doctor movie and that's eric roberts and i'm i want to say eric roberts plays a different person before he plays the master uh-huh. that rings a kind of bell actually i can kind of picture a hospital scene i haven't watched that for so many years Years. No right, and I, I well, oh, I've, wait, I've seen actually, a f- maybe that's no, maybe that's Sylvester McCoy. Actually, does he wake? Sylvester McCoy wakes up in the morgue. He's dead. He wakes up in the morgue, the morgue. and he <laughs> regenerates into Paul McGann. Eric Roberts, I want to say, plays an ambulance driver uh. who shows up at. Like, I mean, there's like, I mean, we're we're still a few doctors away from this, but doesn't he show up at like a there's a gang war or something? Yeah, or like know. the triads. And uh, if someone's if someone's gotten shot, Eric Roberts plays the ambulance driver. I may be describing a movie that only exists in my head. And then, <laughs> <laughs> kapow, the master shows up inside his body. <laughs> Pop, I'm yeah. inside you. I mean, the more you describe this, the more my brain is, is piecing in properly, not memories. But <laughs> <laughs> and just going, wait, was the Doctor Who movie a mashup of Blade, Highlander... <laughs> Dracula. There's definitely some Highlander in there. There's 100% some Highlander. (laughs) Anyway, I feel like the Doctor and Eric Roberts and two more of their friends, they start a company where they start hunting ghosts. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah. I can't wait till we get to see it. Yeah, it's going to be so good. (laughs) Okay, so hang on. You brought up the hypnosis thing. Do you want to talk about the hypnosis thing? I, I just going to go on the record. Did not like that scene. Is this the thing where the doctor is standing completely still and? Okay, scenes. <laughs> scenes. Okay, so wait, hang on. So what? Which one are you talking? Are you talking about inside the TARDIS? That scene, or? So yeah, the one inside the TARDIS where Doc's just frozen. I, I didn't mind that quite so much, I think. I think it it was obvious then he's got power, but I didn't... Is that a like, hypnosis scene, though? Doesn't he tell the Doctor, oh, oh, by the way, I've got some scientific gizmo that's uh, set up so that if you move, this whole thing explodes. So you better True, stand yeah. still. No, the, the main hypnosis scene, I guess, is he hypnotizes Doc to come and... Actually, maybe Doc willingly comes and kneels, I forgot. But then Doc is hypnotized, and then Dramus gets hypnotized, which I actually love that bit, that he gets hypnotized into shooting. Yeah, that is pro- stone cold. Oof, yeah. cold-blooded. More of that kind of stuff, please. Yeah, cold-blooded villains, love it. Yeah, and he <laughs> makes him, like, try to shoot himself as well. Yeah. So, oh, that is badass. Insanely cold. Uh, I made a note of the kneeling scene because we relatively recently saw that with the 13th Doctor. Sasha Dewan's master forces the 13th Doctor to kneel as well. Uh, yeah. When he shows up with the miniaturization device, I should know about this, it shows up in a future audiobook. He's got the device, whatever it's called, and he's he forces her to kneel because otherwise he will miniaturize someone else in the room. Yeah, rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm just generally not a fan of hypnosis. And I think what it's shown to be that powerful, it just bothers me that he's not even playing puppet master. He's he's not toying with people. Like, he is a bit with Tremus, which is why I like that. Yeah. But when it comes to the Doctor, he's just, I don't know, just being a bit shit, 
it's just like finish the job like just do something you have all this power yes and something else that's just dawned on me in the very very beginning when the doctor shows up isn't he okay with the doctor potentially being murdered because when the doctor and Adric show up they are identified as the evil doers he peeks in through the room the peeping melka <laughs> and yes. thus causes a death sentence to be bestowed upon the doctor and that go one further he explicitly puts a hit out on the doctor to get cassia to get the doctor killed yes bingo bongo totally right so what is it that he that wants? Does he want no him sense. to be dead? Does he want to take over his body so that he has a Gallifreyan regenerative anatomy? Or is he psychologically toying with him? I think up until that point where we see the hypnosis and Doc gets put into the Master's TARDIS, I generally thought, like, I, I'd already started to feel like this was probably the Master. Apart from the one point where I was like, ooh, is this the old Keeper playing a really cunning game to get more power or something? Oh, nice. But no, it was, it was hard to ignore the gnarled out gross hand that was on the console. Before all that happened, I was thinking the Master's plan was just to get like the power of the Keeper. Because the first scene when he has the power, like not buying that he was all super benevolent and stuff, the way he was interacting with the Trark and people. Yeah. But I wondered if there was... A more not mundane, but a you know a less grand plan at foot. It was literally maybe it's one step in a bigger plan, but like at this stage, it's just become the keeper of track, and because that gives me some power. Maybe next stage is to use that power to do something else. But no, then they show then the he wants to get a body because he's at the end of his life. It really seems like no, he needs to get Doc's body. Yeah, anything else would just be a stepping stone, surely. Yeah. So no, I think that's a massive negative you've just pointed out for this serial. Dag nabbit. <laughs> I really like your hypothetical retro rewrite misunderstanding <laughs> of the Keeper actually being the bad guy behind everything. Because then you could have woven in this whole power corrupts element of someone has yeah. taken on almost godlike powers to wield benevolence and has volunteered to do so and has done so for millennia, but just as he's about to die, it's just like, no, but I've never really lived. Now I want a new body. I want to wield the same power, but now it's all about me, Dag Nabbit. <laughs> I'm going to take this armchair everywhere. <laughs> it's a quote from Roy Batty from Blade Runner. I want more life, fucker. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's not really a segue, but we have been talking about the Doctor. Do do we want to talk a bit more about the Doctor? Sure. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. And this. Um, okay. So I read a bit that said that Tom Baker was quite sour throughout this production because he he missed Romana, or rather he missed Lala Ward, and he wasn't a fan of there being so many new people on on the cast. Like it's just he's the only remaining aspect of prior Doctor Who at this point. And the TARDIS, I guess. But, like, K-9's gone, yada, 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 you know. Yeah, okay. But I felt like he was on absolute top form in this one. And, in fact, he seemed like he really got along with Adric, for example. He seemed like he really got along with Tremus. Yeah. I, I liked him. He had a number of very playful scenes. For example, when they're locked up in a cell, and on, I think, two occasions, yeah, I think twice, uh, does he talk to guards that are just passing by outside. <laughs> <laughs> conspicuously and then he turns to Adric and tells him like shh quiet <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just shouted at gods like what a nice day you're having or something like that he had a few like really really 
fun and charming fourth doctor moments in this one yeah i think i would agree i think the the one i actually probably liked the most was when they get the blueprints for the the source manipulator and it's it's such a simple scene he's just hunched over a desk with the blueprints in front of him and tremus is looking over his shoulder i think adric might be in the background yeah but he's just he's excited and you know tremus is kind of pitching things in adric might even be pitching things in and he you know he's just studying it with such glee and you know throwing out a, a little quip here and there maybe i really like that i like it when the doctor gets excited about you know things and yeah i agree he seems like he is genuinely enjoying himself throughout this entire thing which goes directly against the trivia <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually surprised to hear yeah, that he was a bit sour on that because it's not played out in the recording. I don't yeah. Think. And I think that's also something that's I'm, I'm pleasant to say that it's missing from this one previously, at least in the latest few serials with him. We've both noticed, oh, there's something not quite right between him and Lola Ward. Like those two have just had a fight. <laughs> and you can tell in the TARDIS between them, the chemistry is that there's something wrong about the electricity between them. And here, that mismatch doesn't exist on screen. If it exists, it exists off screen. And if they fix their relationship, then that's what's showing on screen. But regardless, he's in a good place. There, there are no negative distractions around him, including the guy that he once told to go piss off or something in a pub, namely Adric. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I do have a negative about the doctor, not about Tom Baker being okay. the doctor. Yeah, yeah. And it does it brings back into the Adric shit or they're they're doing shit things with Adric. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because when the master slash Melker appears in the keeper box, yeah. we are given the sound of a TARDIS. I love that. Wait, you didn't like that? No, I like that. But like, we can hear that sound. Oh, right. Yeah. We've already had Adric pointing out some kind of sense that, you know, fitted the pattern of a TARDIS. Like, it's been laid out there already. And Doc is fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah. I've got a feeling and, I may have encountered this chap at some point before. Yeah. I've just feeling. heard a TARDIS. <laughs> Met somewhere before. It's like, no, no, Doc. <laughs> and yeah, bringing it back to Adric, because we have Doc being really stupid about it, like with the door. And then we have to cut to a scene where Adric goes, oh, no, a TARDIS. Oh, wait, could it be a TARDIS? You know, and he doesn't even know who the master is. He doesn't know any of that kind of shit. But he's basically pieced it together. And Doc... Like, even if it was just, like, that Doc was saying, it sounds like a TARDIS. Like, this could be a Time Lord. Not necessarily the Master, although who else would it be? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it's just a really dumb moment, and I didn't really like that. That is a very good point. And it would be weird if it was, if that sound w were there just for our benefit, just for the audience's benefit. Yeah. Holy moly, did it get me excited, though, the first time. Because the first time, it's not uh, the proper long... <laughs> It's just a very quick <laughs> as he flickers out of that room. Holy moly! So throwing stuff into that. Okay, the the Melka itself, like not ignoring mm -hmm. the backstory stuff, which is a bit weird, and we've we've covered that. The Melka as the what's the the word the the comedian circuit appearance of the Master's Tardis. Yes. Are we saying yay or nay? Uh, yay a million times. Yay. Good. I I think I agree. I, okay, second follow-up. Well, <laughs> okay, I love, follow -up. I love this, I love this, I love this. The interior of said TARDIS oh, having... The two screens. Visual screens 
screens as eyes, as if he's like miniaturized inside the milk. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. That yeah, that's likewise. a little silly. <laughs> <laughs> Like my uh, my note was like, wait, is the Melka like a a shell of a robot? <laughs> we see an extra extra panel which has is is black and has and it's got rattles. roundels. Oh my yeah. goodness! Were you not incredibly happy to see that? I love the interior of his TARDIS. I love that the Doctor <laughs> runs through a wall. I, it's the freaking <laughs> best ever. <laughs> I, yeah, I wasn't so sure about that because blatantly it was a piece of paper and they made the sound effect of glass shattering. I know, it's the best. <laughs> he also doesn't have a central column. Like there's nothing going up and down inside his command center. It's just like a computer on the side with those two eyeballs, eyeball monitors. And the rest is just rice paper glass and some roundels spray painted black. Loved it. I, I think I would have to check the visuals again, but I, I feel like you could say we only saw like a corner of it and potentially there is stuff ah, more uh, constantly hard as in the corner. But yeah, I don't know. Speaking of eyes, do you know what I'm about to say? I don't know what you're about to say, but does it have anything to do with lasers? <laughs> no, I was going to say we get another no. set of eyeballs painted on eyelids. Oh, we do. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is related to lasers. <laughs> yeah, what's that about? <laughs> Someone in the makeup department at the BBC is just like, guys, I know this one thing. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You know how expensive contact lenses are? I can make it look fucking awesome for 5p. (laughs) (laughs) All you have to do is close your eyes. Yeah. It's the kind of effect you'd never have to see yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like we haven't really talked about Cassia. She's obviously a very important character throughout this serial. Indeed, yeah. Tremus's wife. Uh, Tremus's wife. Shouldn't really be known as just Tremus's wife. No. Should be known as a person that almost destroyed their civilization. <laughs> For a, a while, she is the keeper. Yeah. Unwilling also, henchman of the master or henchwoman. Yes, yes. Not the best actress in the world. No, so. no, not necessarily. <laughs> I always feel bad. <laughs> There were, in particular, when she was trying to do the um, the kind of whisper talking to people, and I don't know, it was it really felt like it was you were watching a play. Like <laughs> you, you, when you're filming, obviously you can talk a bit quieter, and the microphone can pick it up still, or you can dub it in afterwards, whatever. <laughs> but she was she projecting for the the balcony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Why does no one ever go, uh, hey, Cassia, since when do you wear a weird, massive necklace? (laughs) What happens to Cassia at the end? Yeah, this is the thing. For all the negatives I want to throw at her as a character and the portrayal by the actress, who I don't even know the name of, Sheila Ruskin, apparently. Like, at the end, she basically just gets obliterated somehow by the master kind of, I don't know, using her as a conduit. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what happens. But I'm assuming she's gone. She's just, like, erased from Right, okay. And prior to that, I'm not quite sure why she fainted, but in episode two towards the start, like... I've made a note of she that as well. Like, she's like screaming out like the evil's here before your eyes and then just faints. And then she's propped up in a chair for an entire scene while the rest of them literally talk over her. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just out in a chair. 
Yeah, really, really poorly executed and also really, really poorly done on the part of the BBC as a way of just getting one of the only three women in this entire story out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Nissa. Holy moly, poor Nissa. So her her mum gets disintegrated and her dad gets uh, body snatched. Oh shit, yeah. (laughs) And presumably at some point, well, okay, I guess we don't necessarily know this, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point she encounters the master in the form of her father's body. Uh, Yeah, I was just doing the maths in my head because if you're saying she's in for like 46 episodes or something? 48 episodes, including these four, I guess. So another 44 episodes, that's another 11 serials if we're going by four per serial. Wow. And uh, I I saw before I stopped reading that this incarnation of the master is in basically every series until the end. Yes. Score. Mm. We... I've missed the master. Seems pretty darn likely. They're clearly going to meet up. Yeah. Oh, I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be incredibly interesting. Just, I mean, psychologically interesting and tragic, obviously, and traumatizing, but very interesting. Yeah. I guess it could not be. Like, maybe he doesn't feature in the next series at all and she's mostly in the... I don't know. And then he shows up two seasons from now in that one episode that she's on holiday. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just to avoid this situation. Yeah. And Nissa comes back and everyone's like, hey, we met your dad. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) He's a total asshole. He's a megalomaniac. What? That doesn't sound like him at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it could be interesting. I mean, okay, so now we've talked about Cassia by talking about everyone else. (laughs) Sorry, Cassia. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Sheila. Sheila? Sheila. Sorry, Sheila. Right, what's next on the list? Spoiler alert, Podcast Land, we had five bullet points on this list before we're jumping into rating land. What's bullet point number two? Uh, I mean, they, they don't have to be ordered this way, but the next up we had written down was going back to the laser eyes. Oh, yes, you want yeah. to see... Yeah, what was that? Because... What? what <laughs> why? What? Why? How? <laughs> So, I mean, we've literally seen laser eyes, like some well, shooting eyes at a TARDIS and suddenly it's, I don't know, it's still there, but it's, I've forgotten the phrase that was, was thrown about. It's like uh, dispersed or something. I made a mental note of this and now I've promptly forgotten it. But isn't this a term that is later on used in New Who as well? I'm thinking of a Sontaran episode with tenants. Uh, the Sontaran, Sontaran invasion, is there such a thing? The Sunt- Whatever, the Sontaran whatever. With the young kid who's not Mark Zuckerberg. Do you remember? Whatever. Uh, the, the one that gets a thing in his head. No. You're thinking of Adam. No. So in yeah. there's a there's a tenant episode. I think it's a double feature with Sontarans. They team up with this wonderkind whatever. This is such a friggin' tangent. And he has a company sort of like Facebook, but it's not Facebook, whatever. Maybe he's maybe he's more of like an Elon Musk kind of guy. He's he makes cars and they have no emission. They're, they are emissionless cars. And uh, this is but totally Adam. Sorry? This is totally Adam. It's not Adam. Adam yes. is the Adam is the dude <laughs> in Dalek. That's Adam. Yes, 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 yes. Adam is the dude in Dalek who then goes, I'm going to be your companion for a while. Fuck everyone. Fuck every every fan of this show ever. And then he goes into the future and he gets a USB port in his forehead. Anyway, this dude... Uh, I, I know yeah, you talk about yeah. So Fine. the Centaurans, they've they have shifted whatever technology they, they've put a space gizmo inside the car that basically takes over all the emissions, but it also puts out horrible gas. 
fuck it, this is a completely unnecessary tangent. Anyway, that thing was invisible, and the reason it was invisible was because it was slightly out of sync temporally. And whatever the term was that they used to describe that, I made a mental note to say that was the same term they described in this to describe why the TARDIS was invisible. Okay. I've not helped Uh, at all. I (laughs) apologise. Whilst you were tangenting, (laughs) I found my note. It says displaced. Balls, damn. Wait. (laughs) It's just been displaced slightly by the current time. Well, (laughs) the transcript here says cone. The current time cone? (laughs) Is that a typo? (laughs) (laughs) Time cone? (laughs) Is it a typo or am I just not being paying enough attention and drinking too (laughs) You've been a bad Gallifrey and wear the time cone and stand in that corner. Oh, I want that to be a thing. <laughs> yes, miss. <laughs> Puts on a time gun. <laughs> okay, all right, fine. So it's not. I I'm. I was completely wrong. <laughs> it's not the same name, but I feel like displacing it temporally is kind of the yeah, same it's... gizmo, right? Like it's it's the same idea. So the only reason you can never see the TARDIS in that scene is because the TARDIS is always slightly ahead of you in time. <laughs> yeah. Or something anyway, like that. Right. <laughs> this is a tangent on a tangent. I'm talking about laser eyes. Oh, yeah, laser eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I wrote these points down because we would just be like lost. We would have it. no idea. <laughs> Um, yeah, so what I didn't understand is why do they suddenly turn into basilisk eyes? Like, these, he's shooting lasers at people and... Wait, what are basilisk she, eyes? Well, like, you have to look into the eyes. Like, at, oh, at some point, yes! Oh, just, just start shouting to everyone. Don't look at the eyes, don't look at the eyes. You're it's right. Like, but he can still laser you. <laughs> like, yeah. he's just going to laser you with bum instead. Like... <laughs> You're absolutely know, right. Apparently the rules change and you have to look the laser eyes in the eye for it to do anything. Yeah, that's... I did that. That's... I, I agree. I would not have thought of that. You're absolutely right. That is really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Like, at the very least, like, if it can displace the TARDIS, it can displace people. Like, yeah. you just, you'd be out of phase. Like, that's pretty bad. Yeah, like, that'd be horrible. looking them in the eye change that. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's utter nonsense. Dag nabbit. Bad episode. Bad episode. <laughs> yes. Or has this right, episode just been a bad episode? <laughs> Does this Come episode deserve a spanking? <laughs> okay, right. I've taken that point off. Mm-hmm. And the next, next one we have is Jim Does Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger! Whatever that goes. <laughs> So, episode one, we had the peeping milker. (laughs) (laughs) True, yep. (laughs) It's not quite how it ended. It ends with the the keeper going, evil is here, evil is here. (laughs) And no one turning around and seeing the milker, so they were going, oh, that's going to be those foreigners. (laughs) This is why in normal society, there is a retirement age. This guy is thousands of years old. I feel like if he had been maybe a few thousand years younger, this wouldn't have happened. (laughs) Yeah, he would use his words and say, the Melka, it's here. (laughs) Yeah, or just turn around. (laughs) Or added, but not these guys. (laughs) Oh my God, he could have said, turn around, bright eyes. (laughs) Yeah, oh my God. Okay, uh, where's my gold medal? I, you deserve this. 
retro rewrite of the week. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm particularly proud of that one. <laughs> okay, right, right. So yeah, episode one ends with that shenanigans, uh-huh. and it it picks up with Doc just managing to talk him his way out of it. Oh, Leon's still dead. <laughs> no, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> I had to remind myself what part two's cliffhanger was, and I just looked and was like, "All oh, right, yeah, that nonsense." <laughs> Yeah, I'll get to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, episode two just hand waves a bit. Doc, Doc talks himself out of stuff. Episode two cliffhanger. Well, we get the random net from some random foster. <laughs> yeah. Tremus gets plasma eyed and someone fires a t shirt cannon at them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> they have these net guns? They're amazing. <laughs> I know. But this is. Like, earlier on in this serial, we've had a conversation amongst people. It's like, we want to arm the Fosters. We're worried that there's some evil brewing. And there's a debate on whether they should be armed or not. And it's like, but suddenly they're wielding all kinds of gizmos. It's like, yeah. where did you get this shit from? <laughs> like, Yeah, this is meant to be a paradise. Like a crimeless paradise. Why do they have guns in the first place? Why are people trained to use them? I don't know. Actually, the, the weird ending of this is just like Cassia going to the Melka and going, ah, job's done. We've captured those people you wanted captured and now he Tremus won't become the keeper because people think he's a traitor uh, but Melka says no it's only just the beginning <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> um, yeah so that was a pretty shit cliffhanger really it's not really a cliffhanger and the story just carries on Doc and Co are captured Melka's got plans of it blah 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 blah, blah. Oh, okay yeah personally yeah. I loved it oh, okay yep. <laughs> well, I would have loved it if they were just like electrified in the net end of episode why did it have to be I don't know anyway. okay no fine it, you said a very high bar you have very high yes. standards that's yes fair. that's fair <laughs> <laughs> episode three though oh yeah now we're into the shit yeah we've had the master reveal cassia's being turned into the keeper or she's yeah getting access to the source but then she's gone poop, and oh my goodness tardis sound melka in the bloody chair badass badass but then slightly undone because my, my question question mark opening to episode four is like, um, did, did no one see Cassia die just now? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this this new keeper, fine. Okay, yeah, Doc's Doc's being like the uh, the the whisper in the ear from the other side of the room, going, "Don't believe him, don't trust him." But everyone's like, "Ah, fuck it, it's fine." <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's not okay. like he killed anyone. <laughs> That's it. That's cliffhangers. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Next on the list, we had some Vord hiding, I believe. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. The Vord hiding is spectacular. There's a scene where the Doctor and uh, it's Doctor Nissa and Tremus, possibly Adric as well. They're hurrying down a corridor. I want to say they're hurrying back to Tremus's place. And Nissa is walking ahead of them right as they're entering a corridor. There are two guards around a corner. The Doctor can't even see them, but apparently he hears them and he yeah. just pulls Nissa back. That scene is incredible, by the way. So he pulls Nissa back. She's like, just jerked back whiplash and then they just lean back against a wall as these guards walk past them look down the corridor against a wall of which they are leaning doesn't see them doesn't see them because they are leaning (laughs) and then they just keep walking absolutely textbook ward hiding textbook well done everyone everyone involved I'm so glad I spotted it as well. Oh, that was the same one, though. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) It was so unnecessary as well, because I kind of, like like you're hinting, I I kind of liked the way 
Doc kind of like grabbed in this there and it's like, oh my God, you know, you haven't seen this threat. I've seen it and or heard it rather. I wasn't quite sure the timing was right because she's basically across the corridor into the next kind of alcove. <laughs> and he's like, no, come back to this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still, but then like, why not have the guards just walk past in the corridor, but they stop and look at them. <laughs> uh, exactly. I mean, they stop short of like taking a flashlight and panning it across the corridor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or running a hand along the wall <laughs> against which they're leaning. He's like, nope, they're not here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the best vault hiding ever. I, I mean, on par with Keys of Marinus. Well done, everyone. Good stuff. It was, yeah. Mm-mm. Chef's kiss. Next bullet point. Well, we're into the last one. You are apparently going to oh. bring up some wonderful trivia. Yes. About the uh, original plot for this. I'm just going to straight up read this. I found this on IMDb, by the way. So this is the original plot of this story, because apparently the script, just like any script that gets sent to the BBC, it undergoes a number of redrafts. Here's what it was originally about. Spoiler alert is a completely different story. So the story was originally set in a medieval type society divided between the scientific greys and the zealous blacks, led by Hellas and Zorka, respectively. Zorka summoned... Incredibly familiar. <laughs> Haven't we watched this one already? <laughs> it sounds like a lot of serials, actually. <laughs> Zorka I'm summons sorry. a being called Morgan, he believes is a demon. So the Morgan presumably then turned into the Melka. But whom the Doctor later realizes is the last survivor of a race of super beings with fantastic mental abilities. Morgan wants to take control of the powerful source in order to, to use Traken as the launching pad for galactic conquest. Zorka, bad guy leader, frames Adric for murder, and the cliffhanger for episode 2 originally involved the Doctor, Adric, and Hellas on the brink of execution about to be crushed between blocks of steel, which sounds a lot like the Doctor's near execution a few serials back, Mm. when he was about to be sandwiched between rocks. Yeah, definitely. Last bit here, a key element of part four was a stolen component from the TARDIS, which we kind of see something of, which Morgan uses to construct a time disintegrator with which he plans to kill the Doctor. Yeah. And uh, Hellas's daughter was Nyssa, by the way. Like, that's just bonkersly different. <laughs> that's hugely different. There's not even a master in that plot. Like, that's way more like previous serials than this serial. Yeah. <laughs> so, I wonder if maybe they have this story... Uh, uh, what's his name? Was his name Johnny Byrne? Yeah, Johnny Byrne. Did he write anything else? Let's look him up. Uh, so I wonder if Johnny Byrne wrote this script, presents it to the BBC. The BBC goes, you know what? We've had this a million times before. You know what we haven't had? We haven't had the master. Strip everything that is backstory, context, and plot out of it and replace it with a dude in a clock who's made out of meat. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Johnny Byrne. I'm looking him up. Yeah, all right. He hasn't written tons. But he wrote... He wrote The Keeper of Traken. He wrote Ark of Infinity. And he wrote Warriors of the Deep. And a whole serial that was never made called Guardians of the Prophecy. Warriors of the Deep was... uh, Wait, hang on. Am I thinking of the right one? Uh, I don't think so, because we've not watched it yet. (laughs) Oh, I've just loaded it up. It is the right aliens. They're not the Silurians, they're the sea devils or sea demons. No, wait, they are Silurians. Holy moly, it's a Silurian one. Yeah, Yeah, okay. Yeah, because this is his first script. Right, gotcha. Yeah, so he's got a couple more coming, but we won't get to those for a while. Indeed. 
Before we jump into our minis, can I just offer one tiny piece of trivia, which touches upon a piece of trivia that we mentioned a couple of episodes ago, a, a couple of episodes of Who Back When Ago. An actor in this one, the guy who plays Luvik, Luvik is the chap with the page boy haircut and the goatee. He's the dude who, at the end, sits down on the throne because he is the closest one to it, not because yeah. he was elected. He appeared in Face the Raven. He is the guy who is... He basically acted as a raven demonstration. He's the old chap who's there with his wife. Ah. That's him. That's Luvik. Oh, wow. Yeah. Circular trivia. Shazamatron. <laughs> <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we love or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong. Hey, la, 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 la. Ratings. Welcome to the Our Ratings section of this podcast episode. Do you want to kick this one off, or shall I start us off? Uh, I, I can start, yeah, why not? Okay, yeah, shoot. D- don't say I didn't uh, offer uh, you. <laughs> I get out close. I will not. Yeah, try and be a bit quicker with the rating here. So bullet point, top level stuff, I think. Production, yeah, good. Nothing really to complain about. Not groundbreaking, just pretty solid. Acting, unfortunately, a bit <laughs> so-so. Okay, yeah. Normally we don't. Yeah, normally we don't have to pull up acting. It's it's pretty rare, but I I feel like it's um, a bit of a worry in this one. Plot mostly good. I think we've picked some holes in it, and it's a bit inconsistent and what have you. Character development, yeah, a little wavering. I was super happy we had a strong female character in this. Well, I mean, we have multiple female characters in this for a start, which is incredible. Ah, three. Uh, two and two and a bit. Yeah, but it's not a massive <laughs> cast in general. That's, that's true. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, come on. It's still the 80s. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. So I think, I mean, Cassio is a little bit weird as a character. The acting wasn't pretty good either. But we do have uh, Nissa. Uh, I thought she did a bloody amazing job. And the character was really interesting. And looking forward to the fact that she's going to be carrying on with stuff. And then we've got big reveal. We have a major character coming in, a major villain, the master. And I actually felt like he was a bit shit, unfortunately. <gasps> okay. As as this skeletal uh, meat master guy, yeah, I, I wasn't really enamored by his motivations, the plot around him, and really the betrayal, what have you. But we did have Tremus, and he was very good, and I have high hopes for him as the master. So right. something to look forward to. Yeah. I do have a kind of just sort of random funny quotes we had a very interesting scene with the doctor putting his arms around a couple of Fosters and, and Neiman the Proctor and saying, listen, do you know that expression, two heads are better than one? And then he bangs all three of the heads. <laughs> <laughs> I've written that exact thing for my review as well. I love it. <laughs> so no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> Well, I think that one head's better than three. <laughs> Loved it. Like, I, I'm not sure if I loved it, but it was a thing. It was funny. It was a thing. <laughs> and just a random quote in there to to get the Dr. Adric relationship, which I, I agree with you. I think it was a hell of a lot better than this. Doctor says something and then ends with, what can't be cured must be endured. <laughs> and oh, Adric yeah. says, that's the silliest thing you've ever said. <laughs> Which I quite like. Guy I've just met. <laughs> yeah. 
but then <laughs> I am going to leave just a little negative question in the air. Oh. Maybe I misinterpreted the context, but it definitely seems to be that Doc told Adric how to blow up the TARDIS. Why? Wait, I uh, when? How? We, we we don't. I don't think we see how it happens, but we have Adric explaining to Nissa he knows how to destroy a TARDIS. Hmm. Is that because but, he knows about some technological gizmo in there that's integral to the functionality of a to the function of a TARDIS? Or and like, you know, my memory is that the Doctor explicitly told him how to do this. Oh, I see. Oh, that's weird. It is weird. Which yeah, which is why I'm just left with okay i could i could possibly warm to adric and their relationship between you know adric and the doctor but there's still some weird shit going on there i don't like yeah. blah 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 so bit of a mixed bag unquestionably for me but i did mostly enjoy this so i'm gonna leave it with a thing i said earlier and i've now remembered that seron existed so it's not three out of four consoles that can't act because seron actually was okay as well it's three out of five consoles can't act <laughs> I <don't> even remember <laughs> seron <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he was he was the older guy that got uh, uh rapport. <laughs> oh, why no? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> They did not have a good rapport. <laughs> yeah, so that that's what I've ended with. Three out of five, you say? Yeah. Love it. Absolutely love it. Okay. All right. Super duper quick bullet points uh, from me as well. Uh, oh, I'm really going to bullet point this. Tom Baker is, in my mind, he is amazeballs for all the reasons we already said. He's got some fun one-liners. He's got a little bit of action with the one head's better than three, yada, yada, yada. Adric, I thought, was okay. Better than before. Less annoying. Albeit a tad overqualified, as discussed. Nissa was fab. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of her. She was really alpha. <laughs> she was taking charge. She was solving problems. She's really intelligent. She's, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. She's a problem solver, and that, that's really exciting. The master, sweet Christmas. Am I thrilled that he is back? Jeffrey Beavers is the guy who plays the Meat Master. <laughs> oh my god. The Meat Master sounds like it's like a burger that you buy from a van. Uh, I'll, I'll have the Meat Master, please. Yeah, all right, cool. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> Beavers plays the Meat Master. I thought, I thought well, I thought he, I, I liked him as the Master, although I'm assuming this is the only time that we get to see him in that role. In general, I am a little ambivalent about anyone replacing Delgado because Roger Delgado is. He is the master to me. He is my master. But I am willing to allow Ainley the chance to just take a stab at it. He's not going to succeed in my heart, but he will come pretty dang close. And I'm looking forward to it. Overall, decent production value. We didn't mention the miniature shot at the start, by the way, with the TARDIS and the spinning planets in the background. Oh, yeah. That was gorgeous. I yeah. love that. Fun scripts. I, I like this one. Minus points only because of the myriad, like the tons of things that we have spent nearly two hours discussing this evening. Final point, so sorry that we only have one more Baker cereal left. Like, I, I am mortified. <laughs> yeah. Does he come back in a multi-doctor story? Maybe he does. I think he does. Can't wait for that. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I'm going to miss him. But you know what? I really like this. He's got a very strong ending to his run. I'm giving this a 3.7. Nice. Solid rating. Yeah, like it's it's better than Warrior's Gate, but it's no state of decay. <laughs> so it's, uh, whatever. Read to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen to minis. Let's listen to minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max to 
50 or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron and cheesecakes. Welcome to the listener mini section of this magnificent podcast episode. Did I say magnificent? Dang right I did. I'm having a blast. We have received a tremendous amount of listener minis. We mentioned this at the top of this episode. We've received 11 listener minis. Thank you everyone who sent something in. Not to discourage for future enthusiasm. <laughs> we have just deliberated offline, uh, off the record, and uh, going forward after this one, in cases where we've recorded a lot already before we get to the listener mini section, we may not unfortunately have time to read out every listener mini that we've received. Uh, so if you want to make sure that yours gets read, send them in early. All right, here we go. First listener mini for this one comes from Stephen from Canada. Hello, Stephen. <laughs> Hello, Stephen. <laughs> I can Sorry. remember if we're doing that tune to his name. Or not. Oh, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if we were singing that together. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen starts. The master is back in the flesh, sort of. Still feels weird replacing the late Roger Delgado with a shambling corpse, but I'm a bit late to the game in criticizing that. I hear you. <laughs> this story introduces new companion Nyssa and reintroduces the master very well. Both characters will become key features of the upcoming seasons. You can tell uncertainty is ahead when they start adding companions. Very general rule of thumb, the more companions, the less confidence the studio has. Hint, hint, Chibnall. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm editorializing. <laughs> Speaking of companions, Adric and Nyssa have more chemistry than he had with both the Doctor and Romana in all the previous stories combined. Yeah, It's definitely a nice change of pace, and I'm glad to see him properly settling into the crew. Agreed. Uh, costumes and makeup in this story are excellent, with the titular Keeper exemplifying that fact. The only real criticisms I can give to this story is that I find it drags a bit in the middle two parts. And the effect used for the keeper popping around was a tad silly, <laughs> especially after similar effects were used for comedy in many Pertwee stories. Yeah. Overall, says Stephen, this story earns 3.9 painted eyes out of 5. Oh, excellent rating system, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> and an excellent very rating. nice. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you very much. Solid mini. Rideroonie and Cheesecakes, next up, we've got Ed Corbett. Corbet. Indeed. Hello, Ed. Hello, Ed. Ed starts. This is Adric's first serial as the primary companion. I enjoyed the way he plays to the Doctor's ego, as it allowed him to play their repartee differently from Romana. Nissa works well as an ally, so well, in fact, that they decided to make her a regular companion during production. Anthony Ainley is likable as Tremus, making his next draw as the master all the more contrasting. Mm. The shots of the TARDIS in space, continues Ed, looked like they were made by school kids who won a competition. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I loved him. I liked him. <laughs> the sets of Traken, however, were far superior and were dressed with lots of little details to look lived in, while not looking cluttered. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, a bowl of uh, vegetables, uh, just stuff on desks. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying, man. True. Mm, sure. Ed continues, the Keeper establishes early on that Traken is a peaceful place and its citizens are nice people. This is in no way the case. <laughs> Death sentences are handed out without trial, and the Fosters have no qualms in order to carry out the on-the-spot execution of the Doctor. Holy shit, that's so true. <laughs> 
that's totally true. And on top of that, when Tremus uh, volunteers to take care of them, they're like, yeah, but if one of you breaks the law, then we're going to kill Tremus as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like that planet in Star Trek TNG where they visited and they have no crime because every crime carries the death penalty. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anywho. Uh, <laughs> sorry, tangent. Ed continues, the problem with this story is that the consoles are stupid just to create opposition for the Doctor. It's established that any evil arriving on the planet is petrified, yet they accuse a clearly mobile Doctor of being a great evil. They completely overlook the fact that this, quote, great evil is being manhandled by Proctor Neiman and the Fosters who are basically glorified gardeners. <laughs> Holy <Yes>. moly, so <laughs> true. <laughs> we didn't talk about that. Yes, absolutely true. Dag nabbit. <laughs> This is why we love Lisa Ninnies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ed, Ed's not done yet. Ed obviously has to get to a rating and he's going to sum up some stuff with while the story is good, it does a poor job of conveying the idea of anything existing beyond the three locations we see on screen. The Traken Union is five boobs ruling <laughs> their gardeners. <laughs> Very accurate. <laughs> And Ed gives this what, Mr. Leon? He gives this 3.5 out of 5. Nice. Nice. All right. Okay, good stuff. Good stuff. We're, we're sort of in the same ballpark still. Like the yeah, 3.5, yeah. 3.9. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, who have we got next? We've got Kristaps Paddock. What up, Kristaps? Hello. Why, hello there, Kristaps. Kristaps says, I'll get to the story in a moment. But first, I want to get this out of the way. This is absolutely the most beautiful set in all of Classic Who. It faces fierce competition from Robots of Death, but just about edges it out of the lush, organic touches that Robots lacks. It also features the introduction of Anthony Ainley, the masterest master that ever mastered, in brackets, in my opinion. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I'm not sure I agree with you about the sets, but I love your enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, Christophs continues, Nissa also appears. And while I don't like her that much, she's far better than that other guy. <laughs> What's his name? You <laughs> can't even walk like a human. <laughs> In all, a lot happens here, and what it lacks in likable companions, it makes up for in continuing the rich and engaging story arc that leads up to Tom Baker leaving the show. Oh. Oh, no. The BBC really brought everything to bear in these final stories to give him a decent send-off. And Kristap gives this 4.4 out of 5. Whoa! All right. Holy moly. <laughs> this game's just been blown wide open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My huge heart meter <laughs> is pinging off the charts. Nice one, Chris Tabs. Very good. <laughs> yeah, excellent mini as always. Thank you very much. Next up, we've got Paul Warren. Hello, Paul. Hello there, Paul. Paul starts, as a result of being one of the earlier Fourth Doctor stories to be released on VHS. Yes, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> join the club. <laughs> I have watched The Keeper of Traken many times over the years, and it ranks highly on my list of classic Who stories. As it should, Paul. As it should. <laughs> the thing that strikes me most is how well Adric works as a sole companion. 
Hmm. He has agency, contributes to the plot, and is trusted by the Doctor to perform important tasks such as sabotaging the source whilst never needing to be rescued. This doesn't happen again, sadly. Oh, no. Although there are some <laughs> stories where he gets some screen time with just the Doctor, and those also work well. It's good to see the return of the Master, which I didn't suspect on my first viewing, although with hindsight, a character called Tremas should have given it away. A common way to hide the reveal of the Master in Classic Who was to use an anagram of his name or the actor. Mm. As always, continues Paul, there are a few questions left unanswered. Why is the Doctor told he can't move a muscle in the Master's TARDIS, but is able to speak? (laughs) Why does the Master choose Tremus as his new body, as opposed to someone else? And the Keeper is fairly familiar with a TARDIS, so why does he not recognise Mercure as one? Oh yeah. Yeah, good point. (laughs) Overall, says Paul, I think nostalgia plays a part in my rating this time, but this story gets a big thumbs up from me, and he gives this four out of five. Nice. Nice. Very good. Excellent stuff. This this cereal is up there. Like, it is. It's got a nice... Around like a nice four-ish vibe at the moment. Oh, I'm loving this. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Paul. People who are not Paul, you know what to do. Head on over to the interwebs and find Paul online. I'll give you a hint. He can be found on Twitter at P Waring. That's P Waring. Good stuff. Yeah, nice. Who's next? Well, it's only the Zoonmeister himself. <gasps> it's Peter Zunich. Hello, Peter. Fancy meeting you here. <laughs> Hey there, Peter. Peter starts. Doctor, yes. Draken, yes. Set design, yes. Costumes, big yes. Tramus, yes. Cassia, yes. Milker, yes. Master, yes. Nissa, yes. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. (laughs) Backstory and mythology, yes. Great cliffhangers, yes. World building, yes. Intrigue, yes. Andrew, well... He's actually okay. (laughs) I was popping a vein in my forehead. (laughs) Peter continues, Seriously, what's better than Peladon? Draken! What's a great way to end a story? This episode four. Which series... (laughs) Which series does fantasy and technology properly? This one. Did I mention Nyssa? (laughs) Yes, you did, Peter. (laughs) Peter's like the perfect hype man. Yeah, I I, I wanted to give this five already. (laughs) (laughs) Does it relate to past stories? Perfectly. Does it set up future stories? You betcha. Is it perfect? Uh, No. Uh, But overall, everything just comes together. Not only continuing threads, but setting the stage for so much yet to come. So what doesn't work? Unfortunately, the usual running up and down hallways is reduced to mildly sauntering short corridors. (laughs) (laughs) Characters get to B only to do nothing and then state, we need to get back to A. Well, <laughs> very true. Well, why the Melka did you leave then? <laughs> okay, I, I want to use that as a new, a new profanity. Why the Melka did you leave? Cassia has just justifiable motivation for siding with the baddie. She does mean well, yet I feel that knowing Melka is pure evil, she comes off just a little too willing at first. The only other flaw? That dopey writing pad Nissa gives Adric. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that's referencing. <laughs> I think Peter's trying to say this thing is practically flawless. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> 
So the only remaining question, why would Tremus leave his daughter at home alone with a teenage boy accused of being evil? (laughs) (laughs) We're all thinking it. (laughs) It's a deep, solidly written story that hits every production mark, yet it's slightly let down by bouts of repetitive. I'm totally in love, and perhaps with the story too. (laughs) And Peter gives this 4.0 out of 5. Excellent. Fantastic stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and he leaves us with a very quick happy holidays all oh that's <laughs> right oh happy holidays to you too <laughs> i did catch that actually this has been appended to uh or similar phrases have been appended to a number of these uh, minis really really sorry for not having replied to you with with holiday greetings when you sent these last year <laughs> so really, really huge apologies I, I i tend to not look at anything t- until it's time to you know record the review for fear of spoilers and so on. But yeah, happy holidays. Next up, we've got Nick, a.k.a. The Doctor. What up, Nick? A.k.a. The Doctor. Nick starts with another season 18 atmospheric late Baker classic. In my eyes, once again, we get uh, people who are highly advanced due to their governance, scientific knowledge, and the influence of the mysterious source. Traken is an important planet in later Who and audios. Hmm, interesting. I like most of the characters here, and it helps that we build them up before the great reveal. Cassia is the master's puppet all along. Pre-master Ainley, brackets Tremus, is a good character, and funny to watch him when you know what he becomes. Longest serving master, if I am not mistaken. Holy moly. Well, yeah, he would be, I guess. If this is the master until the very end, I mean, of classic. Yeah, yeah, oh. Oh, goosebumps. Nick continues. I did not see the reveal of the master the first time around, or the Melka, apart from knowing it is somehow evil. It is a good character, sinister looking and intriguing. And if I'm not mistaken, the only TARDIS that can talk, stand up and sit down. Yes, true. In brackets, Return of the Melka will... (laughs) Return of the Melka will (laughs) will see it learn to clap its hands. Wait. What? The Melka comes back. Super exciting. It's another transition story where we gain another companion, and we still don't get to Gallifrey yet. A thread started in Megalos. Nissa is a good character to follow Romana. Let's not talk about Adric, although he is slightly better. Agreed. The story demonstrates yep. what happens when a place where everything is good suddenly turns bad, and then everything is resolved by 337. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> the end. <laughs> but not oh. love the Ainley regeneration, if that's what it is. Yeah, what is that? Ep- epilogue and plenty more to come from him. Hooray! And Nick has not given us a rating. Holy given. moly, he hasn't. But, but he I has given it. us some season's greetings. Well, season's greetings to you also, Nick. <laughs> uh, I think in absence of a rating, I'm going to assume it was drop one of those threes and it's a 3.7 like yourself. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Or a 3.37. Or a oh, 33.7. No, Nick, what are you doing? You know the scale only goes up to five. Yeah. <laughs> That's just ridiculous, Nick. Stop it. Uh, No, please do not stop it, Nick. Awesome mini. Excellent as always. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Next up, we have one of these. New review. Namely, Tant's Six Fingers. Hello, Tant's Six Fingers. Holy moly, new reviewer, and you've got six fingers. <laughs> I don't know if that's on one hand or all together, but it's not what I have. It's awesome. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, welcome aboard. Thank you very much for joining us. Very happy to be traveling down this temporal road with you, Tans. Full disclosure, Tan Six Fingers has also uh, included a little mini bio uh, to introduce himself to us. Uh, we're not going to read it here because we're going to stick to his mini review proper. But I will say Tan Six Fingers is but an alias for his name is Ben O'Neill. Hello, Ben. Welcome aboard. Right, so let's get to it. Ben, aka Tan Six Fingers, says... The Keeper of Traken is the first in a trilogy that sees the return of an old foe and is also the penultimate story of the Fourth Doctor. Therefore, it is heavily weighted in the universe. Although it begins slow, it picks up pace by the end of Part 1. The Doctor is invited to the Traken Union by the Keeper, who is nearing his end. He has nearly limitless power from the Source, enabling him to both teleport onto the TARDIS in flight and to take control of its navigation. Thus continues Mr. Six Fingers. The Doctor's timely arrival avoids the coincidentally arrive at the most opportune moment trope. Mm. The master disguised as a Melker arrives on Traken and attempts to steal the power of the Keeper during the transition to allow himself to regenerate and to rule Traken and the rest of the universe. Continuity, says Ben. The Doctor welcomes Adric to Endspace. There is a reference to the laws of probability and talk of continuing on to Gallifrey, but oddly no mention of either Romana or K-9. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Mm, True. There's also some foreshadowing, apparently. There are hints the fourth Doctor's time may be at an end when he is talking with the Keeper. And also the Doctor mentions to Tremus the second law of thermodynamics, which is pivotal in Locopolis, the next story. Oh, yeah. I did, that. I did make a note of that <laughs> just to say, would Tremus know what the second law of thermodynamics is? No, no, he, he would not. <laughs> but I'm curious about the next story now. Right, we then get some likes. Let's ping pong these, Jim. First like, the music, especially at the wedding. Oh, I didn't make a note of this. Now I want to go back and listen to it. Mm. The unhidden corruption of Proctor Neiman. Agreed. Tom Baker is back in top form. Super agreed. Adric and Nissa working together on their science project, a device to interrupt the source. The deceptive way in which they brought back the master, hopefully back then. The BBC didn't ruin the surprise with spoilers in their trailers like they have now. (laughs) And last like being the parallels between this story and Utopia. Utopia, the tenant one. The master is there. The master doesn't know that he's the master. Oh, yeah, I, I can see the parallels. Yes, definitely. One dislike, he says, though, the makeup on the keeper. Ah, interesting. We've had uh, a previous listener mini saying the exact opposite. Very good. Very interesting. I love it. I love it. I like it. Now fight. (laughs) (laughs) And Tans slash Ben gives this an overall rating of 4.2 out of 5. Nice score. And he adds rewatchability 2.5. One teeny tiny note about Tan Six Fingers' bio. He does mention that he writes fan fiction, among other things, Doctor Who and Torchwood fan fiction. So, Dude Meister, if you're interested in maybe posting that on whoback1.com, send us an email. Uh, people who are not Tan Six Fingers, fret not, you can get in touch with Tan Six Fingers online. He is available on Twitter and perhaps uh, more so on Instagram at Tans Six Fingers. That's like a dance in German. <laughs> I'm only using very specific parts of your body. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Welcome aboard, dude. Right. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> uh, next up, who do we have? We've got Matt Tilly. Hello, Matt. He's a little bit mattly. 
Matt starts. Wouldn't the track and union be a dull place to live? That is always the first impression that I take away from this. Everyone is so nice Ugh. and all overacty. <laughs> it has always really grated on me. However, I still love this episode. Nice. Matt then has a list of the good. First good. While obviously studio-bound, I love the sets. It's kind of medieval and future tech combined. Yes, definitely. Mm. Next good, the Melka. If it didn't move, it would be imposing. But when it does, it becomes so creepy. I think you mean arousing. Next good, the Master. The slow reveal through the four episodes is truly delicious. The last time he featured was five years... Five years ago? Oh my god. Holy moly, someone slapped my ass and called me Sally. What's happened? Five years? That's crazy bananas. Oh, wait, hang on. Sorry, he's not done yet. Matt continues. And the master. <laughs> and the master. I'm sorry, Matt. I'm really, that really threw me for a loop. And the master we meet here is desperate because he is at the end of his life cycle. And that makes him a real threat. Oh, and his tortoises. It still makes me. <laughs> <laughs> it still makes me sex wee a little now. <laughs> oh, so gross yet so arousing. <laughs> this is all on you, dude. This is what you've done to our listeners. <laughs> I I can't take credit for this. This is all mass. Excellent stuff. <laughs> And last on the good list. Holy moly, it's Adric. Yes, you read that correctly. I feel this story where he is the Doctor's only companion is a turning point for both the actor and the character. Mm. And last good, Tremas. He was an anagram of the Master all along. (laughs) (laughs) So many ways. (laughs) Excellent list. But that's not the only list. For we also have a list of the Boofs. The aforementioned overacting by the extras is cringe-inducing. The pacing. I do feel the first two episodes are allowed to meander too much. And that net in the second cliffhanger. (laughs) Just rubbish. (laughs) But I want one so badly. (laughs) True. Also, could this be the first appearance of an aubergine in Who? (laughs) Hey, we all picked up on it. So nice. It's a shame that we didn't have a sweaty peach as well, just for the full set. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, excellent stuff, Matt. Very good. (laughs) That concludes. <laughs> all in all, a healthy 4.0 out of 5 with a following up of Bring On Logopolis. Oh, wow. Holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes. <laughs> oh, good stuff, Matt. People who are not Matt, please go online and high five him post haste. Matt can be found on Twitter at Matt1701E. Like the first contact enterprise. Thank you very much, Matt. Good stuff. Thank you, Matt. Oh, you're going to be sex wing or like that, that's just going to be that's going to stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? <laughs> Hello. Hello, Andy. He gave us a maxi, which you can find on whobackwhen.com. Thank you very much for that, Andy. And yes, thank you. We are reading the mini he also supplied. 
Thank you very much, Andy. It starts like this. This is the first story I remember seeing as a kid. It sees the addition of a new companion and the return of an old enemy in The Master. Mm. It has a somewhat Shakespearean quality with a dying leader, squabbling courtiers, and a treacherous wife slash wicked stepmother. Throw in the sinister Melker and Tom Baker's penultimate story. It's a tale of a peaceful and harmonious society thrown into turmoil by its own well-meaning it features a supporting cast with many familiar faces. Margot Vanderberg, Katura, was previously in the first Doctor story, The Aztecs, as Kamika. What? She's Kamika. Kamika is the Doctor's wife. She married William Hartnell's first Doctor. Uh, what? Yes. Yes, what? That. <laughs> John Woodnot, Seron was Hibbert in Speared from Space, the Draconian Emperor in Frontier in Space, and the Duke of Forgill in Terror of the Zygons. Dennis Carey, the Keeper, we lost was Professor Chronotis in Sharda. Also in something of a universal cosmic alignment, Robin Sones, who plays Lubick, also plays the dude condemned to death to, for stealing medical supplies in Face the Raven, which you've just reviewed. Yes, I know! It's incredible! <laughs> Ainley as good as Tremus. I did not see the anagram as a kid, but it's so obvious now. That was all the positive stuff, but Andy did have one or two briefs. Nissa states that she stunned the guards and they'll be out for a while. Yet, <gasps> but 30 seconds later, the consoles emerge and the guards wake up. That's in my notes, that's in my notes! Is <laughs> <laughs> my friend who agrees with me. <laughs> The second and final beef. The Master's TARDIS can walk as a Mirka. Wait, what? Also, where is the entrance? On second thoughts, maybe it's best not to know. <laughs> I actually thought about this, like, not in that way. <laughs> you dirty-minded individuals. <laughs> but, like, why can't the TARDIS, like, change its exterior to be smaller than you could possibly get out of? Like, it happened it can. With, with New Who, actually, when Capaldi's in that, the flatline one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, why not just do that for shits and girls? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that appears to be exactly what he's done here with the Melka. I think it's really good stuff. Overall, and he continues, a decent story. Even Adric is okay. That sets us up for Tom Baker's finale. Whilst it's by no means a classic, there's enough to keep you interested. And, uh, <laughs> and he awards this three. Point seven source manipulators out of five. That is an excellent rating. Just a straight up amaze balls rating. <laughs> it is. I'm not quite sure of the current exchange rate between source manipulators and Leon points, but I, I think that's pretty much what you gave it. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're like pounds and euros. <laughs> Pre-Brexit. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andy. Please, everyone who happens to suffer the misfortune of not being Andy, go and follow Andy on Twitter if you're not already. Andy can be found at Caffrey's what, Jim? 71. That's right. Thank you, Andy. Thank you very much. Next up, we have Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. My goodness. Michael, what have you done? Why, you've given us a list of likes. Ooh. First one being, holy moly, Patrick <laughs> is not annoying. Yeah, I know. There's almost a paternal relationship. I don't like it. Go back to being a total tool, Adric. We love to hate. <laughs> <laughs> this might also belong on his beefs list. 
<laughs> Michael continues with his likes. Steampunk Traken and the Looney Egghead Keeper. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Next up, Creepy Milker. The pics of it in Doctor Who magazine always freaked me out. Radicalization of Cassia. Believable, given she has been worshipping Melka since she was a kid. Also loved her freaky eyes. Clearly fake eyes stuck over her eyes, but awesome. Next up, the return of Skeletor Master. <laughs> Way better than Mr. Googly Eyes in Deadly Assassin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Though he must have been very bored hanging around all those years stuck in his Melka TARDIS. <laughs> True. Anthony Ainley, last seen by me in a really gory grindhouse horror, The Blood on Satan's Claw. Excellent title for literally anything. Tremas is such a nice guy. His body theft is horrible. But looking forward to more Ainley Master action, particularly versus a certain seventh incarnation. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, After his likes, Michael has given us some boofs. Where the Dickens is Romana and Canine? Checks TARDIS wiki. (laughs) Ah, the elusive episode four of Warrior's Gate. I hate you, Brit Box. I hate you. (laughs) For anyone in podcast land who needs context, uh, (laughs) listen to our Warriors Gate review. (laughs) Next beef, for a society built of aeons of peace, the Trakans seem a little trigger happy to issue death sentences. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And last beef, the Master Doctor confrontation felt very brief. I guess it's lining up for a ton of upcoming Master stories. Exploding TARDIS and the Doc diving through that glass thing was terrific. (laughs) Yeah, 100% yes. In summary, Michael says, pretty darn good. And rating-wise, Michael gives this 3.9 out of 5. Steampunk red shirt truck and people getting zapped by a giant stompy milker TARDIS. <laughs> with a addition of, why can't the Doctor's TARDIS do that? That would have got him out of a whole bunch of scrapes. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. Excellent stuff. As always, you, you know this, as always. People who are not Michael, you're probably already following Michael online. If you're not, my goodness, what are you doing with your spare time? Go and follow him. He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. Yeah, no more underscores. Don't think about putting an underscore there. We're done with the underscores. Yeah, that's right. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Michael. So big. Next up, last up, we have one of these, Jim. <laughs> New reviewer. Holy moly, two in one night. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. Hello and welcome aboard, Kieran Evans. Excellent stuff. Hello, Kieran. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Kieran starts a fun little story with interesting design, but a familiar plot. The studio-bound garden setting looks fairly good for the period. Not bad. Adric is Adric. Tremus is nice. Now, what else? Oh yeah, the master. While he is in crispy form from the Deadly Assassin, he has been given a more natural face. In brackets, the old mask didn't survive in storage. <laughs> good good fact. And is now played by Jeffrey Beavers, husband of Caroline John, aka Liz Shaw. Very good stuff. Very interesting trivia. Mm. Very good. Kieran continues. Beavers would go on to play the master on a number of occasions in Big Finish. Oh. I guess dust breeding and master being particular favorites. Beavers' voice is particularly good for that creepy, seductive vibe that this one is often going for. Once again, the master is trying to extend his life 
and this time he seems to have done so. In itself, this is a nice little story, but it really is here to set up the next story. So, Kieran gives this what, Mr. Leon? 3.3 out of 5 laser eye statues. Adding, so a new body at last. Oh, fantastic (laughs) stuff. (laughs) That is awesome. Thank you very much, Kieran. Thank you so much for sending this in and welcome aboard. Very glad to be traveling down this temporal road with you. And also, thank you for mentioning some audiobooks. We are looking for audiobooks to review, so uh, I'm going to add these to the list of potential candidates. Much appreciated. Good stuff. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, everyone who has written in. What on earth do we have next? Well, next up we're going to have a new Who review, namely Evan Sent, after which... Yeah, looking forward to that. That is, as I recall, a really good one. After which, we're back in Classic Who territory with what, Jim? Well, that's the thing. Many people have already mentioned Logopolis. That's right. The last Tom Baker. Oh, the end of an era. I'm I'm heartbroken. Uh, After which, we will probably be doing a bonus episode appropriately with our traditional Doctor retrospective. This time it will be time for the fourth Doctor retrospective. Damn straight. And at some point we'll do an audio who as well. As I said, please keep sending us your suggestions. But that's all in the far-flung future. Here's something you can do right now. You can say hello to us on Twitter. Are you available in the Twitter sphere? I bloody well am. Oh. You can find me at Jimmy the Who. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> He, he was really trying to think of a way of making a, a comedy thing about it, but no, he couldn't. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Too many martinis. <laughs> you can high-five me online as well. I will high-five you right back. I can, in brackets, still be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. I might rebrand. Who knows? But that is otherwise it for this evening. Thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience. Please stay safe. Stay indoors. Wear your masks. Be right next to each other. Rock on and cha-chao. He said it beautifully. All I can say is, see ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when? It was beautiful, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's so smug. <smoke. laughs>